Welcome back to Art Moves, the podcast. This is our 12th episode of the podcast. Yay. I'm Dr. Regina Newhan, and with me is Major Dwight Smith. Hey, Dwight. What's happening? Dr. Newhan, how's it going? It's going great. Well, you know, we're so happy to have artist Kiki Cerna with us today for what is sure to be a great <laughs> what is sure to be a great conversation. And Kiki is originally from Mexico and she's a graduate of the Kansas City Art Institute. Her work has been featured in many regional galleries like La Esquina, the Oklahoma Arts Coalition, H&R Block Art Space, and Lady Vocus, just to name a few. Plus, Kiki is currently showing some of her art as part of the Nelson Atkins exhibition entitled A Layered Presence, which is high on my list to see next. And Dwight, I know you've already seen it, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I have been there. It is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I recommend everybody in town go see it two times real quick. Yeah, yeah. there's some great <laughs> artists involved there. So, Well, Kiki, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Mm-hmm. Did you come to Kansas City to study at the Art Institute or had your family already moved here? So um, my family moved, so we moved to the United States when I was seven, and we originally moved to Blue Springs, 20, 25 minutes from the city. Um, But while I was there, I was seeing a lot of my friends going to MU, KU, but I wanted to do art, and I was like, where am I going to go? So luckily enough, I had an amazing art teacher who kind of showed me the path towards KCAI. And uh, she's really the one who kind of led me to come to the city. Through that, I was able to apply, get accepted, and I've been in the city ever since. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We're so glad that you made that move. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I saw a mini documentary through KCPBS featuring you, Mm -hmm. and in it I learned you had an interesting reason for the use of vellum in some of your work. Mm -hmm. Would Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. So vellum is a translucent material. Um, a lot of people, just the best way to kind of connect it with people, will use it for drafting. So if you think about drafting paper, architecture, you know, anything that is going to have kind of like a layering to it, that's vellum. So I love using vellum. Vellum is an, an amazing material, but it has very demanding properties to it. Um, specifically, it collects anything, dust smudges, fingerprints. And so you really have to work towards it and really focus on being challenged by it. So in my work, I, f- I think a lot about absence and presence. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it has a lot to do with the immigrant experience. When you migrate from a place to another place, you leave behind memories, you leave behind residue, family, and even time stands still. And so for me, I saw a really big parallel with that material. I saw vellum as being an extension of that idea that there's kind of a veil over our existence uh, when we immigrate. And so it's very delicate material, but what I like to do with it is bring out the idea of maybe someone passing. Specifically, I think a lot about in my story, there's been about four or five people in my family that have passed, including my aunt, who was, you know, I was very close to her, and my grandpa. But when you leave that country, specifically, you think a lot about DACA students or immigrant undocumented Mm -hmm. people who are not able to return to their country and say bye to that person. Mm. And so in my work, I kind of treat that material as like a remembrance. And I like to allude to the idea of that veil that's kind of covering us, hazing an element, 
even the memory, the aspect of memory. Memory is very fuzzy sometimes, you know, it's fragmented. And so for me, it draws that parallel of what that experience looks like in a more visual manner. Wow, that's interesting on so many levels. <laughs> and you often use a lot of bright color in your art. Could you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a couple of reasons, but one, one main reason is my memories of Mexico are very, very bright. I think a lot about like the brightly colored streets. If you go to Mexico, there's really no laws there's no like home associations. Like if you want your house to be pink and green and yellow, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> but also it's Mexico tends to focus, although it's a big city, they tend to focus a lot on like plants and kind of, you know, getting rid of smog. So they'll, there'll be plants and like cacti and like just greenery everywhere. And so my memories are very, very brightly colored because of that. Hmm. And then coming to America, you know, I, I moved to Blue Springs and eggshell. <laughs> That's what it was for everything. Eggshell, eggshell, eggshell. Beige. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, beige. <laughs> and so there's these two dualities within color. Um, but for me, too, it's the message of celebration. A lot of times my work will be dealing with specific moments that maybe are focused on trauma, collective trauma, loss, fear isolation and so my way to combat that is to bring color out and find a way to celebrate those things um because sometimes you know they're they're not they're very vulnerable elements but there's still a celebratory factor of that experience in itself and and with everything the good and the bad yeah Mm-hmm. Dwight, I know you're a big fan of Kiki's art. What are your favorite things oh, about her art? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know Kiki is in the collection. You know, oh, I got yes. In the collection. So I had seen some of those elements. And then you know, what pulled me in was that, that, that multi-layered kind of technique with the bright colors. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I first saw your work, I was like, I want to know your process. Mm-hmm. And I want to know the message because, you know, Spanish is not my not my language, but I knew I said I knew this had to be hidden. Good, I said this had to be something, you know, because uh-huh. it, it had a, a very reflective nature. And then getting to see your work throughout town was really mm-hmm. nice. And that's when I was like, yo, yo, this person is cooking, yeah. cooking, cooking with, with with just your application, your message, and then how you express that, you know, that 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 connection to your family. It, it is mm-hmm. well a well thought out process. And I am so glad they got you in the Nelson show. But, you know, one of the things that endears me, all of your work, there's, all, there's always this, this connection to family. And, to family, and, and, yeah. And reflecting on, on your origins. You know, a lot of people have strong connections to their family, but, you know, a lot of people don't project that. And, and yeah. you are very free and, and vulnerable. And, and sharing with that. I think that's what kind of endeared me to your art. Because, you know, you can tell when people are sharing love. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. that's good food right there. I want some of that. <laughs> and and, and your, your art was good food, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, tell us about that. I mean, how, how what is it like to be that free with your expression, especially when, you, when you're sharing something so personal? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I, I, I get this question a lot. And for me, it's validating my process. Um, I, for a long time, growing up in Blue Springs, and I'm very loud about this, no hate against Blue Springs. It was a great town to grow up in. My parents wanted me to grow up in a safe, quiet, American dream town, you know? And that was definitely it. But 
there was not a lot of diversity. And so for pretty much towards the end of high school, I, I was so, so embarrassed of being who I was. Mm. Um, I am so happy to be able to be transparent and talk about these things, even if there's a little bit of embarrassment tied to them, because that is how we break down barriers. And now I look back on it and I know that as a seven-year-old coming to America, growing up in a place that is made for white people, I knew I had to exist. And so for a long time, I hid myself. I hid who I was. I hid that I, that I spoke Spanish. It was also a thing of fear. I didn't feel comfortable even speaking Spanish to my parents in a Walmart. Wow. So it was a form of even protecting them. Yeah. I didn't want any harm to come to them. And so you think about that, you know, 17 years of not expressing your identity. When I got to college and I found solidarity and allyship with other, you know, by POC students, I just found myself vomiting, like just letting out, purging out everything that had been down here hidden mm -hmm. for so long. And so that is why I... I completely champion everyone finding their community and letting out their identity their true true identity unapologetically yeah that was the first time I found that that liberation and that freedom and then I realized like I have to talk about these things and a lot of times it's very hard because there's a lot of vulnerability and and melancholy tied to it but we're going to talk about it because <laughs> that's how, once again, that's how you break down those barriers. And I know if I had had more people like me around me telling me, you can do this. This is your dream. This is your goal. You got this. Mm -hmm. Things would have been very different. And so I hope that through my process of celebrating my family, celebrating my identity, celebrating my origins, my immigrant story, and also talking about things that maybe make people a little bit uncomfortable. I hope that other people, younger people, youth, can find that and, and find that as a form of empowerment to also follow their path. It's mm -hmm. very powerful right there. You know, and it, you're right, it is hard sometimes to speak the words that express what you're feeling and sometimes they are not received very well. And mm -hmm. to instead express yourself through your art I think is not only a unique talent, but it's um, so helpful for so many other people as well who may be going through what mm -hmm. you've gone through. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So there's this Latinx explosion going on in the city that uh -huh. you know I've been loving, I've, I've been seeing it, and I've, I've watched the community expand artistically. You know, what really when I really saw okay, Naughty Cooking is when I saw y'all were doing the uh, La Onda exhibits, you know, mm -hmm. like the traveling ones. And I was like, okay, Naughty Cooking. Now, you know, y'all y'all jumped out and said, we're going to do our own version of Super Friends. And it was badass. You were on my mission list right then after that. Because there were a couple of, there were a couple, you know, I was get, I was grabbing pieces from each uh -huh. show, right? You know, mm -hmm. Valentina, with people see their pieces. And I was like, okay, I got to get one from you. Tell us about that La Onda experience. I mean, folks, if you haven't had a chance to see an iteration mm -hmm. or a version of La Onda, you need to because 
you know, I had I was fortunate enough this year to be able to sponsor the show that was down in Mexico City and Kiki mm-hmm. was in that show. So after that, I knew I was grabbing a piece. But tell us about the La Onda experience because folks, this has been what I would say La Onda is the precursor to what we are seeing at the Nelson, honestly, you know. So mm-hmm. tell us about that experience, Kiki, because you were a big part of that La Onda Exhibit. Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening probably don't know what La Onda is, and so if you would explain that as well. Mm-hmm, yeah, so La Onda is a traveling, migrating Latinx exhibit. Uh, it was, it came together through my good friend, collaborator, amazing, all-around genius, Cesar Lopez. Yeah, he was on He's this amazing. podcast. The best yeah. and all the flowers to him because he's probably the most prolific person I've met. And, 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 you know, that's what community is about is about inspiring others. When I see him getting it, I'm like, Oh, I got to get on this. And so <laughs> he has the best energy. Um, and it actually was born during COVID. Um, there was not a lot of stuff happening at all. You know, everything was closed people weren't doing much. A lot of people were resting. A lot of people were worried to do anything. They didn't want to get sick. And so Caesar and I were like, we need to keep doing stuff because if we don't, we're going to fall back. And so we just need to start that process. But at the same time, we had been talking for a long time about creating a Latinx collective. Um, and we were like, we need a space and a lot of it came with accountability too. We wanted to hold spaces accountable. Like how many um, brown people are in your exhibit? You know, how many black people are in your exhibits? How many people by POC students, uh, you know, coming of age, like who do you have on your roster? So it came with a lot of accountability and we were like, we're gonna make our own space. So um, we had shared these ideas and our energies matched really well. and. We kind of came together with the idea of this this traveling exhibit to kind of just go not only locally, but with the goal to be able to show it nationally, to have it travel across seas, you know, all those good things um, and creating that momentum. For me, it's been great to work with him because he has so much knowledge that is very specific to his practice, to his experience, to his story. And then I bring, you know, in completely different things too. So just coming together and having an idea. But it's been really great because I think we need more collectives. Mm. We need more groups that can create that momentum because a lot of times spaces don't create it for you. You know, a lot of times there's trends to who is being shown around the city. So you got to get on that. You got to make that happen. Um, and it created a lot of opportunities for people during that time, too, because no one was really showing. So we we're like, OK, let's start something. And here we are. You know, it's been literally sustained through all of COVID yeah. and not even sustained, yeah. succeeding, yeah. growing, growing, glowing, bringing new people in. Dwight bringing in people who have small ideas and then they're like, hey, let's do this. So kind of just mounting everything together, creating that snowball effect. It's just the best that Launa has all of my heart in it. And, and to create those long-term friendships too, the allyship between one another and, and having ideas, you have to do that in your community because it's usually not being done. Why is it called La Onda? What does that mean in English and why was that name chosen? So La Onda is a, it's like a slang term. It's like a wave. Mm-hmm. 
It's also like the thing, the vibe.、Ah, so,、yeah. you know, Spanish has a lot of different meanings for like one word. <laughs> But、um, La Onda too is also represented the idea of water and like how a wave will come from different origins. So you replace, you know, the wave as people, people coming from different origins,、yeah. stories coming from different origins, clashing together. In a larger group, you know, the larger landscape of Kansas City, the larger landscape of the artist community. Powerful flow. Exactly. Coming in, giving little bits of it, entertaining each other, learning, growing, taking back, bringing back in. And so we just thought that really, you know, assembled that idea that we wanted. And so that was the one word. And it's also a fun little term, like it kind of sticks to people. And so we were like, We really like the sound of that. Yeah, it's great. It was really fun working on the name. <laughs> I love it. You were feeling it. You were feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you do other things, you know, besides create art.、Um, you worked at Maddie Rhodes Cultural、mm-hmm. Center. Is、yes. that correct?、Mm-hmm. And are you still working there? You're no longer working so there? So, I actually left, I think it's been already a month、um, or about a month. I had been there for six years. I interned there actually.、Um, When I was in college, I was really looking for the Latinx community, and Maddie Rhodes was that place for me. And can you explain for the listeners who may not be familiar with Maddie Rhodes, could you tell us what Maddie Rhodes is and, and then talk about your role yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. So, Maddie Rhodes is a local nonprofit that highly focuses and works in marginalized communities, but specifically, it works with immigrant. Latino, Latine communities.、Um, we're located in the west side and in the northeast where there is large immigrant populations.、Um, my role there was the cultural arts, but Maddie Rhodes has a lot of different branches. So they have the cultural arts, they have the mental health, community development, health and wellness.、Um, but all of it, you know, kind of ties within the agency, and it used to be a very small agency. Um, even when I started, I think there w a s only 30 of us. But as of you know, me being there and leaving, it's, it's growing. I think we're pushing towards probably 100 staff now. So it's, oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's grown so much. And in the last five years, we were able to complete our capital campaign, which was able to create space from the old gallery that was located on 17th、uh, and Summit in the West Side neighborhood. Very beautiful, historic, warm building with a lot of、yeah. history tied to it. Absolutely, I agree.、Mm-hmm. But we had outgrown you know, the space and、mm-hmm. we really needed a brick and mortar. One, you know, the facet of gentrification and the act of just driving prices up, especially in the West Side, Northeast communities.、Mm-hmm. And we needed something of our own. Another thing that I thought was very important was to be able to have a building. That was a reminder for the community of the history tied to the neighborhood.、Um, mm-hmm. And so we completed that. It's two years now we've had the brand new cultural center building. And so my role went from being gallery coordinator、uh, to the cultural arts coordinator. So I was working in coordinating artists, coordinating all the really large scale events, so Day of the Dead, the Chicano Festival. And all of our events were tied to an exhibit. And so, primarily, I really like to talk about Maddie Rhodes Gallery as being a community gallery.、Yeah. Because our,、um, like、you know, our main goal was no one here gets turned away. This is a good jumping spot. And like, 
starting spot for a lot of artists that um, have maybe been turned away by the white box contemporary galleries, but we all need a space to start out in. And so I really found my place in in working with the, those artists one-on-one -on -one and being able to help them cultivate their artistic practice and their professional practice. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> so I did a oh. lot of stuff too. You know, I curated the exhibits. I, I did random things that would kind of just happen. And I think that's kind of like the nonprofit facet is just being able to do a little bit of everything. Um, but I did, I really, really loved it. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Gosh. <laughs> well, and it's so nice to be multi-talented where you can apply your skills and your knowledge and your creativity to more than one discipline, shall we say. But how lovely to be able to now just focus on your art, you know? Yeah, it's for me, I've been doing, really, I was working two jobs. And right after work around 6.30, I would go to studio. I'd be there until midnight, oh, one gosh, sometimes. That's tough. And I'd wake up. Yeah, I'd be like so exhausted. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know what? I've had my art practice pick up quite a bit in the last year and a half. And so I was like, if I could just focus fully, 100% on my practice, and I, I've seen the work that I've done with like half time, basically, like imagine what I could do. Wow. And so yeah. I was like, I have to just take that step right now because I don't want to... I don't want it to be five years in the future. And I was like, oh, I wish I had done that earlier. Yeah. I wish I had taken that step back. And so it's been a little daunting to be fully transparent. I mean, it's a big step. And and I think, you know, it, it's intimidating. Yeah. But at the same time, that challenge is really good. It's good. Yeah. And, and knowing, too, if I ever want to go back to the coordinating world, it's going to be there. Yeah, and you've got a skill mm -hmm. doing that, and so you can fit right in. Yeah. So, Kiki, so, so I got a question. You know, I want, I want to take it back to your practice mm -hmm. a little bit and what I've noticed. So, you know, I saw you um, You have a fantastic work up at, um, Can at the Kansas City Museum. And, you know, and what I tell folks, and then I think this is probably what pulled me to you is, is your text art. You know, I'm a, I love text art, you know, no matter the language. And I think a lot of folks, when they uh, automatically, when you say text art, they assume mm -hmm. English. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just expected, you know. And, and what I've been on a quest is trying to get texts from other languages. And, and that's what, you know, honestly, as Charlotte speaks, when I saw, I mean, text is what pulled me in. So your text at Kansas mm -hmm. City Museum, the piece that I got from you, remember your name, you know, your well-placed utilization of text in your work. You know, that's what pulled, I was like, I, I want to know what that means. Uh -huh. It was like the whole picture was a vibe and then I saw the text and I was like, oh, I know this, this is slapping. <laughs> Tell us about your usage of text because you're a text artist. Yeah, and as you do that, would you um, mm -hmm. describe the piece at Kansas City Museum? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So the piece at the Kansas City Museum, um, I I wanted to make a piece to add to the landscape of the Northeast. I have roots tied to the Northeast. My my dad lived there when he came here before me and my mom joined him in America. And um, it's a very vibrant community. I mean, it's immigrant based. There's, it's very, very diverse. Uh, but sometimes what's not highlighted is the individual stories. And so 
what I wanted to put into it was my side of, of the Northeast and what that is, is my immigrant experience. And so I like to call it like a melancholy perspective into the immigrant experience. It's two pieces. The back of the wall is painted um, a specific color that I chose that I thought would really celebrate the essence of that work. Uh, I have a couple of shelves with some familiar plants from my grandpa's garden. They're engrudo, which is basically, um, it's the piñata paste, which is paper mache, mm -hmm. just in a different process. Um, and then the two pieces have different timeline imagery of my family at different moments, along with letters from my parents that they wrote back and forth to each other when my dad was here and my mom was in Mexico. Um, and then it has the text that says, valió la pena. Valió la pena means it was all worth it. And so for me, the message behind that, and I think, you know, in, in the immigrant experience, there's always that, uh, that question of we left our home behind, we left our family behind, we left part of ourselves behind, our schooling, our, you know, our professional practice to come to this country out of need was that worth it, you know? And I, I see my parents like asking themselves that, like I can even just read my dad's thoughts sometimes. There's always this message of it was, and and, and there's these highlights that we've been able to accomplish as families that um, validate that this was worth it. At the same time though, you're not getting to say bye to your parents, to your grandparents. And so there's a lot of loss, but even then, you know, that question is something that I think just further fortalizes or sets in concrete the idea of the immigrants in the United States, especially in the Midwest too, because it's very different to be an immigrant in New York, Florida, California than in Missouri. So that's kind of what that piece is. But for me, the use of text is a way to really communicate a message to the viewer that can just kind of be right up in their face. Yeah, cause you, you hit them with bullets, bam, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> hello. <laughs> cause you know that your piece, remember your name mm -hmm. it is so succinct and you know, mm -hmm. it does have that melancholy vibe mm -hmm. and it just, it pulls you in. It's like, it's like, it says, listen. Mm -hmm. Definitely, like I said, I didn't even know what some, what the word meant. You know, mm -hmm. my horrible San Diego just high school Spanish. You know, <laughs> but I knew this was hidden. You know, and and I feel that with a lot of your work. So kudos on being able to step into yourself and, and express in your language mm -hmm. with your technique. That is beautiful, Kiki. That is so beautiful. And I think that's what really endeared me to your work. Was thank you. And that's that's actually something else is writing it in Spanish, I've had a lot of times where I've had either a white curators or, you know, maybe other white artists, they've asked me, how do you feel about using Spanish and not English? And I'm like, I'm very intentional with the message that I want to deliver. Part of it is I'm putting it in Spanish. We're in a country where, you know, we know what passed, what happened in the last couple of years and the change and and the pain that's attached to so many things that have happened. But for me, it's, we're living in a country where your neighbors speak Spanish, you know, your, the, the store down the street that you visit, you know, it's a Korean family. Like, you need to learn. Look it up. 
you're enjoying art, you're going out and looking at art, look it up, do your research, learn about the artist, learn about the community they're from. Essentially, that's your community. Mm -hmm. And so for me, really having it in Spanish, it, it, it's important to me. It also is the essence of that message can change through language. And so I think that it also adds another layer. It's also a good conversation point. I want people to ask me things. I want to answer questions. That's part of my practice. And if someone sees the text and they're like, they don't want to look it up, but they would rather come up to me and ask me, yeah, let's have that conversation. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff though. I like it. <laughs> awesome. In your online portfolio, one of your pieces that caught my eye was what appeared to be a self-portrait with a play on the selfie concept as it showed a young woman taking a selfie, but we don't see her face. Mm -hmm. We just see her silhouette behind the back of her phone mm -hmm. camera. And the space surrounding her is filled with depictions of emojis and both English and Spanish logo graphics. And then there's a text portion of the artwork that says in Spanish, ni de aquí, ni de ala, mm -hmm. meaning neither from here nor from there. And I would love it if you could tell us a little bit more about that piece. Sure. So. I was in a really interesting spot in my studio practice when I did that piece. I had had a lot of internal thinking of most of my work focuses on centering my family and my immigrant experience and story front and center to, to the viewer. Um, mm -hmm. But really something that I hadn't really focused on was myself and kind of the vulnerability behind growing up Latina, Midwest, you know, immigrant in a very white, white area. I grew up in Blue Springs. And yeah, one of my very first memories when I came to the United States was very, it's very weird, because in my work, I deal a lot with fragmented memory. And so it's almost like mm -hmm. when I look back, I have very specific visuals that stick out. And so one of them was the Taco Bell dog that they used to use in the 90s. Uh -huh. You know, he would be like, uh, Quiero Chalupa, Viva Taco Bell. And I grew up in Blue Springs, so it's very, very white. I think it's more diverse now. You know, I want to make sure that I'm fair with, with the growth of a space. But back sure, then, it was sure, not. Sure. Yeah. And I remember seeing that image and right away connecting with it. Oh, yeah. It's very funny because now you look at it and it's a very stereotypical way of looking yes. yeah, at the Latino experience and it's very commercialized and it's made to be digestible for white audiences. Um, and so, but I, I fell in love with it and my dad used to actually go and, and take me out to eat there, which my mom never let us eat fast food. So nope. he would kind of <laughs> do it, you know, it'd be kind of something we would do and he'd be like, don't tell your mom, <laughs> but I would get the little stuffed animal. And so I remember thinking about that specific experience and I was starting to think a lot about how logos are interpreted um, based on your background and your background story. And so I wanted to create it. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, That's really insightful. Yeah. And like, yeah. It would be different, you know, someone who has, who doesn't have that immigrant experience sees Taco Bell. Like, there's just a different facets to it. And unless you open up that conversation, it's really hard to see the differences in perspective. Um, so I wanted to kind of make a piece that reflected, one, vulnerability, two, the sensibility of logos, and then also just like how logos affect how we view each other. Um, specifically thinking about social media, 
and how the selfie, you know, centers yourself, centers the person. Social media, like, has really made the process of taking selfies, like, you know, very digestible. Like, you just see a selfie, scroll through it, scroll through it, scroll through it. But there's an identity of a person hidden behind it. And so I kind of wanted to focus that on a large scale and kind of bring the audience to look at what the person is based on the logos. And so for me, it was putting myself in it. I'm clearly hidden behind the phone, but really what's around me and what's kind of creating like an aura is the collage assemblage of different logos. And so these logos and, you know, popular um, icons were all things that made my life in America relatable to something. And so I think for me, it was being an immigrant, you really try and hold on to the little bit of you that you leave behind in your country. Yes. You kind of grow up in this limbo of not being from Mexico because you left that country. Your roots are tied to it, but in a way the country itself has even forgotten about you. You know, you're out mm. of sight, out of mind. And then you come to America and you're trying to plant your feet and find that concrete ground but even then there's consistent reminders of this is not really where you're from and so I've always felt like I've floated in between Mexico and America and so I really wanted to grab all these you know icons and kind of place them around me at the same time I wanted to give them significance uh, and tie mm -hmm. them to my own personal story but also open up that conversation for viewers to connect with it. I wanted them to come up to it, see each logo, take it in and find their own connection. And for me, that's always kind of been um, a goal in my work is like what conversation can be had between cross-cultural connections, cross-cultural conversations. Um, but it's also a very fun piece, I think. And so I think because yeah. it's, Absolutely. Yeah, like it's relaxed, like people kind of, I've had a lot of conversations just around that piece and people just, oh the gosh, yeah, great. they'll like come to it in a different way, like more relaxed, you know, their guard down, more open. And so it's been really interesting. Maybe depends on their background. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, that's kind of what that piece is about. It was really fun. I really liked making that piece. Yeah. It was a great piece. It was a very thoughtful piece. Uh, and I, I enjoyed that. So thank yeah. you for telling me about it. <laughs> Tiki, and, and I gotta ask you from a fan perspective, what is it like to have your work at the Nelson Act? What is it like to have your artwork up and you like walk into that's me? That's, what is that like? Because you know you, your your projection, you 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 brought the house down with your piece. You know it's a it's a very interactive piece. It has all elements of the things that we've been talking about. But what is it like to walk into a museum and see yourself? It's hard to describe. <laughs> when I first started coming to the city, I uh, the first time I ever set foot at the Nelson Atkins, I had seen it so many times. We had driven past it. We always saw the birdies on the lawn. And I remember thinking, like, is that somewhere I can go? Is that somewhere that I can, mm, yeah. it's expensive? Are my parents going to be able to go? Like, And I finally went through an art class. Uh, my teacher, JJ, who's the one that I was telling you, pushed me to go to KCAI. She brought us down here. And I remember thinking, wow, like this is Kansas City. Like we have this here. And uh, ever since then, I was 
I wanted to come down to the city every weekend. I wanted to show my parents. Uh, it reminded me of Mexico, actually, because Mexico has so many museums. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very elevated space. And so I remember thinking and walking those hallways and just being overwhelmed and wanting to exist in that space. And so fast forward, you know, I go to college. I'm right next to there. I would walk over there. I'd study there. I end up working there. So all of this is like the manifesting. And then now to have my work there and to have my work intentionally with a group of artists mm -hmm. who have different stories, but a lot of similarities within what we're saying. It's, I don't even know. <laughs> it's really, really, really amazing. And for me, it's also so important to have those processes happen out in the open for people to see. Uh, for museums to also have their accountability tied to the spaces and the communities that they're in. I've worked there before. I love a lot of the people that I've worked there with. We've done, um, while I was there, events like Day of the Dead, yeah. you know, Chinese New Year. You know, we are trying to bring in this diversity into the space. And when I was working there, so I used to work while I was, I think it was right before I worked in events programming, I worked in the Ford Learning Center. And we had a group of students that would come in, they'd do classes. And sometimes we'd have schools like Guadalupe Center, we'd have, you know, Northeast, um, Primitivo Garcia. And a lot of those students, it was the first time they were setting foot in there. A lot of Latino, Black, Asian, Indigenous students who would come in. And I'm like, this is your museum, guys. Like, I want you to bring your mom and dad back here. I want you guys to come in and look in the oh, space. I love that. So I would always deliver that message. Yeah. And so for me, that process is so important because our community is so broad. We need to break those boundaries down. Mm -hmm. We need to show. We need to represent. We need to have even just that initial conversation with those spaces. Like, who are you showing? Who else do you need to show? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And... Um, I think it sends a very large message. It also is creating an impact that we can't really see until it fully plays out. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Me walking back in the day into that space for the very first time and just being overwhelmed and never thinking that I could have work there to here we are and me wanting to tell students and the youth, hey, you can do this. We're going to do it. Like one step is a huge step. And before you know it, the impact is national, you know, the impact is in Mexico. Like there's just so many little components and we all have to play our part. And so that is one big chunk of that message, but you know, it builds up, it builds up and it's so valuable. I'm feeling so inspired just listening to you. <laughs> it's, it's infectious. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super good. I, I think it also creates that synergy between other spaces too. Like, hey, like, you're next. Yeah. Like, who's the next yeah. space? What's the next place? Like, meet us here next time. Like, uh, that's what I want. I really want to have that process in our community. And it's been happening for a long time. There's so many people that have been putting in that work who are so deserving and who have done it just because they have their own personal goals. But a lot of times those goals are community related right away, just by the way they work. And so it's super important. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I love yeah. this. Well, you know, uh, Kiki, I'm curious what you want people to take away from your art beyond it being something beautiful and engaging to look at. What, what else is 
your desire? I mean, I'm getting inklings of it from what you've already said, but I'm curious what you would say. I think one, one big thing that I would love for people to take in is to walk away and, and do their research. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of hit on it a little bit, but I think we need to research our communities, mm-hmm. not only like today, community today, you know, community in the future. What do we want? We have to look at the past. We have to unlearn, learn, unlearn mm-hmm. things. And to kind of push people, even who, who maybe don't feel comfortable doing that stuff, like you have to do it. You have to do it. It always will impact the type of, of work that happens in a community will impact your children, your grandchildren. It impacts you right now. It's impacting your neighbors. So I really hope that people can look at my work and I hope that they can walk away with questions or maybe the inkling to go and find out information or to, to just create process. Like I really want it to just be something much more than them coming and seeing it and being, oh, I like the color, you know, being critical about the work that they're seeing in front of them. That's well said. I'm curious also what's next for you. I mean, you've got work at the Nelson now. You've got a piece at the Kansas City Museum. You've got representation everywhere, it seems like. You've been in many galleries. What's next? (laughs) So actually, just focus on my practice full time. You know, you're jumping into yourself. So so kudos on that. You know, I'll be there to support you. Um, I, I, you know, I'm always going to rally the troops around your message that is so poignant, you know, really that that's what it is. Keeping your work is poignant mm-hmm. and, and you can see the love emanate from it, you know, and, and that's, and, and honestly, I mean, that's, that's it right there. Poignant and just love, you know, that mm-hmm. you don't need to speak the language to feel it, you know, folks, you don't need to speak the language Excellent. to feel the love. And that's what pulled yeah. me to your work. I, I, I knew this came from well. I was like, I don't know what it says, but it needs to be in my life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's and, great. And, uh-huh. and, and that's a and that's transcendental. That's yeah. what you're looking for. You know, I think that's how you bring communities together. That's how you ride the wave. Lone does for show, mm-hmm. for show. Much love mm-hmm. on that, Kiki. You know, I, I'm looking forward to getting about five or six more pieces in the collection. But we got to <laughs> figure out how to get one of those. I want a projector piece because I want to have something. Oh, tell us about the projector piece. Yeah, because you do have a couple of pieces. You had a piece mm-hmm. recently over at United Colors Gallery that had projections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So I, actually, as an undergrad student, I did I heavily did performance artwork. Oh, I, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, it. I love performance art. I mean, it's something that um, a lot of times people are like, what's performance? Is that like theater? It's like, no, performance art is an experience. Like there is so much behind it. There's a message, not that there isn't with theater, but it's it's very raw and very vulnerable. But when I was uh, at KCAI, I went into sculpture and I found myself making a lot of objects, which I love objects, you know. I come from a background of keeping everything and not throwing anything mm. away. So I love it. But I also wanted to create something more that people could walk away with. So I did a lot of performance work. Uh, I was very influenced by uh, Guillermo Gomez Peña, who I actually met recently, which was crazy to me. Um, Marina Abramovic, even Yoko Ono. Like I had a lot of um, inspiration from from those performance artists. I I can feel that. I can feel that from your (laughs) projections. I was like, because you got some iconic aspirational type imagery and essences that you portray yourself as maybe it's just your lips but it's saying something or maybe it's your eyes 
or maybe it's a silhouette, but it has like this, like you're creating your own mythology to explain mm -hmm. your process. I love that. Yeah, and, I, and you can see those influences, and like every one of those influences, I was like, yep, 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 I can see those, <laughs> I can see those, so yeah. And so while I was doing performance, I found myself, like, I would have a lot of leftover images, documentation, and I was like, this is not trash. Like, well, we're going to figure out what we're going to do with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, every little facet is so important. Like if I, if I just delete this or I don't do anything with it, it's going to bug me. I'm going to be thinking about it all night. So I was like, what am I going to do with it? I started playing around, playing around, playing around. And I was like, oh my God, there is so much more more of a timeline or a lifeline to performance work and i had kind of already seen that but i was like i want it to live in different spaces in different renderings and i want it to you know be audio i want it to be video like just different things so i started doing a lot of projection work i found myself right away i think i was already kind of organically working in that sense so when i started actually doing projections i was like i i just love them and so um, for me, it's a way to kind of elevate a message uh, if it's if you don't get to see the performance in person. And sometimes some of them will be performances in my studio where I'll just record them and then I'll project them. So for me, it's a way to kind of manipulate the process and extend it, make it have a longer lifeline. Um, and so that's the piece that I ended up doing at the Nelson. Of course, I've done them a couple. I have actually done like four or five this year. I've kind of gotten back into it. And for me, it's all about the process. It's just very invigorating. Like I just find myself falling in love with the method behind it, the meditation aspect, the repetition. Uh, I've even worked some of my pieces in there where I'm making collages and I kind of do like little bits of stop motion almost, rewinding, forwarding, fast forwarding. Uh, I do a lot of like repetition like sounds so I'll like say something like I'll say a phrase and then I'll repeat it in the back of the video to where you can barely barely hear it you kind of have to come to that work multiple times and see it multiple different times and I want each time for someone to find something new I want them to hear something new once again I think that goes back to the idea of that demanding like i want you to spend more time with experience. This. i want you to feel yeah. experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's so interesting just hearing you describe yeah. this process it's it's like this um cycle of reduction and then expansion you reduce mm -hmm. these yeah. segments down to elements that you can manipulate and edit the way you want but then you can layer them upon each other and expand the meaning, expand the connotations, and expand the experience that the observer has. So I, th I think that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like how you're saying that. I like how you put that because there is a lot of kind of like abstraction and then like kind of looking at it and being like, what what is needed? I take away, I add more. Mm -hmm. And so this process becomes very, it's pretty intimate process I'll just spend a long time on my computer like playing around like listening hearing it and like responding to it it's very enjoyable and I think because people are very much comfortable with screens you know we're so comfortable with our phone we're so comfortable with tv sure. like you go to Best Buy and you see all the dads standing around watching the commercials <laughs> everyone's very comfortable with screens so I think that that's kind of a way for me to to like 
you know, I, I know, I know what people are comfortable with. I'm like, I want you to be comfortable with this too. Like stand in front of it, listen to it, watch it, do your research after it. Like, and, and there's a lot of inspiration that even goes to it because for me, my work has always been very tied together. Like there's always been these uh, concepts that have always been tied to it. Even as an undergrad, I remember being a freshman and I was very obsessed. So I really like scary movies. Like I love horror movies, like Korean, Japanese, like all just everything. But I remember being really obsessed with the idea of the ghost and what a ghost is. So traditionally, you know, the idea of a ghost in American culture is kind of like your horror, like your ghoul, you know, spooky ghost type of thing. But in the world, people look at the ghost as a, a metaphor for different things and very, very specific ideas. Yeah. So when I was a sophomore, I hadn't really flushed that idea out yet. Uh, it wasn't until I had, you know, shout out to Eleanor Lemidiot, one of the best teachers at KCAI. She had a class that was called the Woman Warrior, and it was uh, a feminist uh, theory class. And it was, we read this book called The Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston, and it's basically a memoir, but she shares her story through literature, poems, uh, folk tales. She retells the story of Mulan. And so one of her like reused ideas that she uses throughout the book is the idea of the ghost. And so she talks about the ghost as different things. So one thing that she talks about is immigrants in this country tend to be a ghost. They're oh, ghosts because yeah. one, they're invisible. Yeah. They're invisible legally, literally, like you mm. are invisible. You do not exist in this country. They're a ghost to their other country mm. because the country right. they left forgets them. And they're even a ghost to themselves because they're leaving parts of themselves and rewriting themselves. So when I read that book, I was like, this is literally what I have been trying to talk about. And now I'm finding words from an artist who is not from Mexico, you know, a writer who has been writing about this for so long. And so since then, I was like, this, this is it. So I started working with the idea of the ghost. It was something that I had already thought about. I thought about us being a ghost in America and I remember seeing my parents as that even. And so in my practice, I'll use different things. And specifically in performance and my video work, I use the idea of the ghost very, very clearly. Mm. Um, in my piece for the Nelson, I do silhouettes of people and their cutouts of my images of family pictures. And sometimes it'll be the ghost of somebody who has passed. I'll put like, like little flowers around them or like little cutouts to kind of create a memorial for them and then I'll also do the idea of the ghost so someone like say me and it's a picture of me when I was seven I know I'm no longer that person because of all the change that has happened since then not just like you know growth as a human but you're learning and shifting as your society and your community changes you're changing with it so there's different ghosts of yourself and then I'll also do like the ghost of, of a family so coming to America a lot of families deal with trauma and that kind of breaks up their family dynamic. A lot of times, you know, the dad will will be depressed or sad and, and will kind of just go to the side. The mom will go to the other side. Like uh, we're not really dealing collectively sometimes. Mm. And so I like to work with that idea of kind of that past 
person or the absence of that former self. And so that idea of the ghost has really come to be in my work. And in the video work, I feel like it's a really good tool to kind of talk about that. And um, even though, you know, I think people kind of take it differently and maybe some people take it literally. I hope they don't, but it's to kind of push and convey that idea that, you know, we leave parts of ourselves behind and in the, in the rest of our absence and presence, like there's a ghost and, and what is that ghost and, and how do we talk about it? How do we, how do we even learn to live with it? You know, how, how do we learn to live with pain or trauma? How do we, do we just shut it out and put it away and never talk about it again? No. We cook it food, we sit yeah. with it, we talk to it, yeah. it becomes part of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Oh, gosh. I love how <laughs> Shout you... out to Eleanor and Casey. Yes. Yes. For that inspiration. She yes. inspired me. I'm like, to Eleanor, I'm coming through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's the best. She's oh, the best. I love it. Gosh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been such a wonderful conversation with you, Kiki. Thank you. And I feel I feel changed just listening <laughs> to you, you know, because it's giving me a new perspective mm-hmm. in how to look at not only your art, but look at the world around us. And I think that's Good. just terrific. So thank you so much for being here. Kiki, I'm coming through for a studio visit. Yes. You know, let, let, let's plan out a projection. <laughs> yes. I, I can't wait. You know, I'm looking forward to incorporating mm-hmm. some of, you know, I, I want a projection. I want something different than, you know, your standard two, yes. three art, you know. So I def, I'm looking forward to incorporating that mm-hmm. into, into the collection just so I can say this is another form. Yes. another means of expression. I love that. So, mm-hmm. Kiki, you know, so great having you on the show. I guess I've been a big fan for years now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to what you bring us in the future. And, you know, and definitely it's people. Yes, yes. Now, thank you guys for having me. It's been great. And Kiki, mm-hmm. if people want to find out more about you, how can they do that? So you can follow me on my Instagram. It's kserna, K dot S-E-R-N-A-A. Or you can go to my website, www.kikiserna.com can also add me on Facebook. You can see me in the art community. I'm usually out and about. Um, but I want to just thank you guys for, for visiting um, and, and having me here. It's This is what I love to do. I love to talk. Uh-huh. And I think that that conversation becomes very important, adding to the larger landscape of the Kansas City community, artist community, by POC community. Yes, that's great. Amen. Well, Kiki Serna, wonderful artist and curator and organizer and visionary. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Art Moves, the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe through your favorite podcast platform or the website. You can find links for this and the video show at linktree slash artmoves. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-R-T-M-O-V-E-S. And thanks.